Hello, this is Father Leonard, and welcome to This Parish Life. These bi-monthly, 30-minute podcasts are designed for your entertainment, information of parish events, and spiritual and social issues that face our city, state, and local church and parish community today. I have a special guest with me today. She is a good friend of mine, known Sister Nancy for many years in her community since my seminary days. She is a daughter of St. Paul, director of the Pauline Center for Media Studies in Culver City, California. She is a media literacy education specialist and theologian, national speaker, blogger, and film reviewer for BeMediaMindful.org. Please welcome Sister Nancy Usselman. Welcome, Sister. Thanks so much, Father Leonard. It's great to be with you. Well, it's wonderful that you're able to travel up Highway 5 to visit us for a little while. Sure. So what I'm thinking is, what I'd like you to do before we get into some questions and, and discuss your um, the last book you published, which is Sacred Look, Becoming Cultural Mystics, I'd like to, I'd like you to, I'd like to invite you to uh, give us a little bit of your background. Thanks, Father Leonard. Um, yes, as a daughter of St. Paul, our whole mission in the church is to live Christ and communicate Christ. And we do that through all forms of media and also be present to evangelize within the media culture. I've been a daughter of St. Paul for almost thir- more than 30 years, and uh, I have been involved in so many different areas of our media mission that... Uh, from from book and media publishing to administration to working and managing in our Pauline Book and Media Centers uh, all around the country, um, and now in the Media Studies Center. And quite honestly, this is my passion, is to uh, be a, a teacher of how to integrate faith and the media culture, our experience of the media culture. It's the stories of the culture. And uh, that's really what my book is about, is how do we find that theological underpinning uh, between faith and uh, the art and artifacts of the popular culture. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm originally from St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, I have been and stationed all different parts of the country, uh, but my favorite is California. <laughs> I wonder why. <laughs> it's the best weather. <laughs> yeah, it is, especially today. No, oh, yeah, it's, it's beautiful today. Um, anything else? Well, uh, I enjoy um, baking and cooking, and uh, like, like Father Leonard, I love food. So. <laughs> Um, I, I like to cook, and my sisters in my community uh, in Culver City are happy when I do so. Uh, I experiment with all kinds of things and, and gourmet cooking, but I also love coffee and spending time with friends, hiking. Um, I love walking near the beaches in California. It's just gorgeous. Uh, anything in nature. I think nature has uh, a special ability to connect me intimately with God. and. Yeah, I think a lot of us, I mean, here in California, we don't normally say God, but uh, we do try to get involved in it, or the natural spirituality and stuff like that. But as religious men and women, you know, we think of God when we do these things. We can't help but think of God within the nature itself. Mm -hmm. Now, I understand that you're also uh, involved in a couple of new projects, too, one of which is that you're returning to school. Yes, that's it. Right now I'm pursuing a doctorate in ministry from Catholic University of America. Um, It's an emphasis in liturgical catechesis. Um, And the reason for that is because 
What we do in the Media Studies Center is we teach on media literacy within the context of faith formation or catechesis. And it's, it's how when we're teaching the faith, when we're explaining the faith, we have to bring it into the context that everyone understands. And today's context is a digital media culture. So we have to integrate the faith experience and, and our understanding of the faith within the everyday. Mm-hmm. And um, the theologian Karl Rahner would call this like an everyday mysticism. And that's kind of where it comes out of the title of my book, you know, of I say call become cultural mystics is because we're called to be mystics of a digital media culture sure. today. Yeah. Um, and we can talk a little bit more about that. But sure. well, you know, it's interesting about all of that is that, um, you know, over the centuries, the church has always been looking for ways of evangelizing. And I think your founder, uh, what was his name? Blessed founder? James Alberione. Right. He mm-hmm. had that idea a hundred years ago. Mm-hmm. And can you give us a little bit of history of your community uh, sure. regarding we, that? We were founded by an Italian priest, Blessed James Alberione. He was declared blessed in 2003 by Pope John Paul II. Uh, he... he had this inspiration to found uh, a community of brothers, priests, and as well as sisters and lay people. So uh, to be evangelizers, to be present in uh, the culture of media, of communications. At that time, it was only the press. This was in 1915 that he founded us. So it was only the press, but he was like, we need to bring, you know, uh, combat in one way, the bad press with the good press. We need to put the gospel message out there. People need to have access to it. And the best way at that time was through the press, diocesan papers, um, uh, through books, printing of the Bible. I mean, he, he wanted a Bible in every home. And really that... And, and then he ended up taking on every form of media as it came along. So radio, he started radio station and um, film. When in 1930s in Italy, he was one of the first biblical filmmakers in That's Italy right. in the 30s. So right at the beginning of the film, the film was just starting to bud, mm-hmm. and he was present there. And we took on every new means of communication since. Mm-hmm. And that's where all over the country, where he founded 10 religious institutes that comprise the Pauline family. Mm-hmm. And all of us together are about evangelizing the culture, uh, this this media culture, and bring the message of truth, Jesus, who is way, truth, and life to the culture. We had a great vision uh, way back then, and it's to me, that's interesting. You, a certain type or certain parts of the history, you get somebody who is going to think differently from anyone else. And right now, and I always say to a lot of our own Catholic brothers and sisters, is that the, our Protestant brothers and sisters have a great experience doing this already. Mm-hmm. And I think that's interesting because if you look at TV from 30, 40, 50, even 60 mm-hmm. years ago, what are the Protestants doing? They're preaching. Mm-hmm. And we're only, as a Catholic church, we're only now really starting to embrace that. And I think that's good. There's lots of podcasts mm-hmm. out there. There's lots of different uh, stations that are Catholic-oriented. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you being part of that, mm-hmm. you know, you, you have that expertise in it. So. Well, I think the church, you know, um, 
Blessed James Alberione had a particular charism, and that's what it is in the church. The, the, the Holy Spirit rises up these people to take on new means, new ways of communicating the gospel. And he brought Alberione into the picture right as it was budding in understanding in the church. And um, there have been many people in the church, many organizations, many religious orders who also take on media. But for us Paulines, it is the sole mission. We all work in this one mission. And there's been such great life. You think of Bishop Sheen. He he was a great preacher oh, in yeah. the 40s and 50s. He was just really out dynamic out there. And and it's so great because this charism is not just for one group. It's for the whole church. Mm-hmm. And you see it rising up today in all different in the laity. So many wonderful lay people, men and women, are taking on the media to communicate the gospel, especially post-pandemic. Oh, yeah. What a wonderful, like, budding in the church yeah. now. You know, what's interesting about Fulton Sheen is the fact that he not only attracted Catholics, but he actually attracted Protestants and non-believers. And that was because he was such a dynamic, charismatic uh, person. Mm-hmm. Um, we see that a lot in Protestant churches, and we're starting to see a lot of that in our own faith, in our mm-hmm. own Catholic tradition, men and women coming out and mm-hmm. you know displaying this great charismatic you know evangelical spiritual you know yeah. whatever well bishop you know. <laughs> bishop Aaron, i think is calling everyone to yeah. to do it is oh, to yeah. take up the arms and that's our call as baptized christians is to, we're called by our very baptism to take on the task mm-hmm. of evangelization mm-hmm. of communicating the gospel in every way and every means possible mm-hmm. in in whatever situation we find ourselves in work in home at school wherever mm-hmm. uh in our social gatherings we can be a witness mm-hmm. first of all of the message of christ of the love of christ mm-hmm. for the world and that is the greatest calling and that's the greatest evangelization you know i remind my parishioners every once in a while that you know you are witness to your faith and and uh, you know a lot of them don't realize that we all are given the mission at baptism mm-hmm. what our mission is is to spread the faith and i you know you don't have to do that by hitting somebody over the head mm-hmm. you can simply do it by witnessing your faith and that's a i think that's a lot of um a lot of people in our country mm-hmm. in our culture they don't realize that they think being catholic is you know one hour a week mm-hmm. whereas really we're catholic christians 24 hours to witness our faith by being just good people, mm-hmm. you know, thinking of others. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't have to be out there with a Bible in our hand and, you know, hitting, hitting people with it. All we need to do is just witness it. And that's what I always emphasize to our our parishioners here mm-hmm. at Assumption Parish. You know, Sister Nancy wrote this wonderful book. It's uh, titled A Sacred Look, Becoming Cultural Mystics. And she gave me this book, I think it's like three three years ago, four years ago. And and I actually used this book when I went on my retreat in New Mexico. I went to Christ in the Desert. And the wonderful thing about Christ in the Desert is that there, there there's no media at all. <laughs> there's no phones, no Wi-Fi, nothing. So um, that gave me the opportunity to sit and read this book. And there's a lot of things in this book that struck me. Now I'm going to read this first uh Thing here, which I like. It's, it's uh, the introduction to the book, and it's uh, New Mysticism for Today. And this, I believe, is a quote from you. 
I believe this call, this calls for a new mysticism. A livid spirituality comes from a tangible, concrete experience of the divine. To say we are spiritual without religious is a farce of pop philosophy that eliminates the authentic response to a religious encounter, which is transformation. Mm-hmm. And I read that, and it's like, that's what captured me right away. Mm-hmm. And I said, that's so true. A lot of people in our culture say, oh, I'm spiritual, but not religious. Mm-hmm. And so can you talk a little bit about that? Well, let's talk about what what is mysticism. I mean, we think of mystics of the church, the great mystics, like a Teresa of Avila or John of the Cross or Pope John Paul II or Mother Teresa are great mystics of the church. But in actual fact, we're all called to be mystics. But what does it mean to be a mystic? Well, Well, it's an experience of God, but that transforms us. In other words, it's not, we can have a deep spiritual experience, even just by walking in the woods or walking along the ocean and feeling the immensity of God's creation. But it has to be an experience of God that changes us, Mm -hmm. that we're no longer the same person after this profound transforming experience. And so when we uh, encounter, so when we have this encounter with God, uh, and, and we can be mystics and be present to look deeply at even the popular culture, it calls us to, to go beyond the surface mm-hmm. and look, what is the stories of the popular culture talking about? Like, film and television. And yes, there's many things out there in the popular culture that are contrary to our faith, that are contrary to our beliefs. But, uh, and and there is evil out there. No, and definitely. But uh, I'm not talking anything that's like absolutely evil, but I'm saying, look at some of the stories and let's go deeper. Um, and what elements of the human searching does it speak about? Like, well, you have one line in your book that I highlighted where it says, being a mystic means being authentically who we are as believers. Yes. And and as we are reflecting and living within this media culture, we, we have to be mystics today, mm-hmm. mystics within our current situation. So when we do, we look at those stories. Let's look deeper. What are those stories saying? Like, what is, what is the deepest yearnings of humanity that are communicated like if we look at any 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 story any tv show or something there's something about the desire for communion for connection there's a desire for purpose and meaning in life there's a desire for intimacy that's that's existential desires in every human person we all long for it we all search for it we even search for the supernatural when we don't even realize it we're yearning for god ultimately and that's our starting point for dialoguing with the culture, with our faith. Yeah. And we can all do that. That's why we're all called to be mystics. Yeah. And it's not just left to priests, religious, or monks in, in a desert, but it's for everybody. everybody. Yeah. You know, you, you have a quote here where you talk about uh, the theologian Bernard McGinn. And he, you write that he says, Christian mysticism is that part or element of Christian belief and practice that concerns the preparation for, the consciousness of, and the effect of what the mystics themselves describe as a direct and transformative presence of God 
in Christ. Absolutely. Yeah, so that's, I need to look him up more. <laughs> but this is a very interesting uh, quote mm-hmm. that, or a, a written thing that you wrote here. Mm-hmm. And in, I actually read that several times over and over in mm-hmm. my head when I was up in the, up in my retreat. Mm-hmm. So can you elaborate just a little bit on that right now? Well, I, I think, like I said, you know, maybe a lot of times a problem with our culture and, and a lot of things, situations in our culture today, I think what can be problematic is that we don't spend enough time to reflect. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a real lack of awareness, I think, in the culture today. And, and it's because we're rushing. And maybe a pandemic has has allowed for many of us to really step back and think and reflect. And perhaps it hasn't. Perhaps it's just made us more anxious and, and preoccupied, and that that could be the case. Or it has slowed some down. So, and, you and, know, because as a pastor of a parish, you know, I do encounter a lot of my own parishioners who have told me that, you know, they've made a little bit more time for not just their families, but for themselves as well. And prayer, and you prayer, know. Yeah. And I think this this need for awareness, the need for reflection uh, is so important today. Uh, and time for prayer. And it's not just reserved for one hour on Sunday, but praying every day can truly transform us. And that's what... Uh, Father McGinn is talking about it. It's it's like when we experience and have this profound experience of God and transformative experience, we're not the same. Mm-hmm. It changes us. It changes our outlook on life. It changes our view. Yeah. It 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 leads us to a deeper sense of interior peace and happiness mm-hmm. because we're coming out of ourselves toward God. Yeah. God, who is the fulfiller of all our needs and desires. You know, one of the things I always talk about is, and a friend of mine and I have discussed this on many occasions, is that is, you know, as a culture, the Western culture, unfortunately, is uh, losing sight of what the transcendence is. Mm -hmm. You know, it's all about what we're doing right now. And a lot of people have taken up... um, different types of meditation so it shows me that there are people out there who are seeking something Mm -hmm. but they're not seeking something within their own western culture their Mm -hmm. own tradition Mm -hmm. you know you write here what something from Rahner again something that I Mm -hmm. like reading and and he write that that which is amazing and even confusing in the life of Jesus is that it remains completely within the framework of everyday living We could even say that in him, concrete human existence is found in its most basic and radical form. The first thing we should learn from Jesus is to be fully human. And then you write, to be fully human is to be heroic. Mm -hmm. And when I read that, I was like, wow, that's pretty profound. And I actually spent an entire hour (laughs) in retreat going over my head. Mm -hmm. What exactly does that mean? So why don't you explain just a little Mm -hmm. bit of what... Rahner's trying to say mm-hmm. in that. Well, paragraph. actually, Pope Francis has a wonderful quote. He says, you know, we're all called to holiness, mm-hmm. and we're all called, and it is when we live our the deepest, who we really are, mm-hmm. is when we are most human. And when we are most human, 
we are most Christ-like because Christ shows us what perfect humanity is. And when we are most perfectly more completely human is when we are most intimately connected to Christ. And that's what Ron is speaking about. But we're also heroic. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because in our culture, I like to talk about superheroes because our culture is kind of like fascinated with superheroes. I mean, it's like, chapter on uh, yeah, I have a chapter in the book about superhero stories uh, in movies and uh, TV shows. But it's because we're fascinated by, by superheroes because they show us heroism. They show us what it means to overcome and and come out of yourself to help others. And yet at the same time, this culture, it can remain, I mean, they are human beings. They're not supernatural beings. They're they're human beings um, with superhuman qualities, right? And we admire those qualities. Like we become fast like oh what would what if i could be like you know spider-man and fly between buildings i mean that's so awesome i always thought that was so cool when i was a kid but um the the interesting thing is um the monk thomas merton had a wonderful reflection on this and he says the culture today has this sense of a mysticism but it's a mysticism of heroism Mm -hmm. and what he means by that is that it's the desire of ourselves to transcend ourselves. In other words, we we want to do all the work ourselves. It it kind of like we can do it through our own powers and abilities. We're we're taking away then from God's grace who helps us to transcend. We're not the one to do it ourselves, but this sense of heroism means we can do it all ourselves. It's like it's really a secular humanist perspective. It's all about the universe and there is nothing else, you know, there's no nothing, no other being beyond us. But we know there is. As Christians, we know God is what keeps us in being. But and and this tr- this sense of mysticism of heroism, it, it's problematic in the sense that it's like we can transcend uh, this world for our, ourselves and with our own powers and abilities, but what it does, it remains naturalism. It remains only in this world. It can't see a life beyond the grave. Right. And and he says, so that's a problem, but what are we really yearning for? So what we're really yearning for as as Christians is we're yearning for intimate union with God mm-hmm. who fulfills us and transforms us and trans and helps and leads us to transcendence. Mm-hmm. And we see this perfectly in the saints. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are truly the superheroes. Yeah, they are. You know, in, um, in Nancy's sister, Nancy's book, uh, chapter three, which I found pretty interesting, a theological aesthetics, uh, television as art. And I know that television can be problematic too, mm-hmm. but also there's some beauty to it. You know, and I'll name just a few examples. You know, one example is that uh, I love watching the National Geographic television mm-hmm. network. Mm-hmm. And you see the beauty that is the earth, the, the beauty that the creator has created. Mm-hmm. And so you see that, but then, then you go to the other side and you see... Was it uh, uh, Housewives of Atlantic City or something, right? And you see the, and I don't mean to be this as an insulting, but you see the ugliness of greed and Mm -hmm. selfishness Mm -hmm. and things of that sort. So as Christians, we see kind of like 
two different things. We see the beauty of nature, and mm-hmm. then we see the ugliness of human yeah. failed of, uh, flaws of and things sin. like that. You know, you have here, which I, I like, um, where you say, aesthetics is the art of thinking beautifully. Mm-hmm. And I would say, wow, that's, um, that's good. Um, mm-hmm. Explain that. You know. Well, I mean, I think, you know, when we're looking at popular culture and the stories of the culture, um, yes, maybe we could st- we could start right off and look at the moral issues and the moral problems present in it. But of itself, storytelling is an art, and art is beautiful. Like if it's authentic art, it is it's saying something about the creativity and beauty of the human of human ingenuity and really television now has come into the second age golden age of television i mean with the streaming series of you know, like netflix and amazon prime and hulu and apple tv and disney plus we have now a plethora of of tv shows to watch and yes some of them are are appealing and some are not there's some you know issues but like just an example of like ted lasso i know a bunch of guys it's quirky it's a weird tv show about this guy who uh you know goes to he 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 knows nothing about soccer or or football as they say in uh europe and he goes in in is coaching a premier soccer team in england and he knows nothing about it and it's it's the funniest movie uh tv show but yet at the same time it says something about his optimism and beauty and he he kind of knows people are making fun of him but he has this utter confidence in himself and there's always something we can draw from another tv show i love and it's going on its 11th season uh by cbs is uh blue bloods and uh it's with tom Selleck and his whole family so he's the new york police commissioner and all his kids and his his daughter and his sons are all in in law enforcement in some way and they're Irish Catholic family. So the elements of Catholicism come out there once in a while. There's even one episode when Tom Selleck's character is going meets with his priest and has a conversation. But what is great about the show, um, and it's about fighting crime and the things that, but it, it's a challenge to each of the characters to live uprightly, um, to choose what is the moral good, in even in complicated situations, and 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 there's you know there's dilemmas. So it's 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 not it's more realistic, you know, in the sense there there are moral dilemmas that we got to struggle with. But what's great is that they always end up around the family dinner table on Sunday afternoon. It's like their ritual to meet together every Sunday and they talk about life and they talk about issues. And it, that's a really sacramental moment in the show. You know, it's interesting, that, it's interesting that you're talking about that sort of thing because a lot of the TV shows that I watch every once in a while, there is some element of a transcendent, or I always like to say, there is an element of Catholicism in mm-hmm. that. And I remember there was one TV, I think it was called uh, Mrs. President or or what was that TV Oh, uh, Madam Secretary. Madam Secretary. Yes. And you were telling me, and mm-hmm. I thought it was very interesting, that every once in a while... Um, um, 
Thomas Aquinas yeah. would come up in the conversation and the Catholic philosophy yeah, and yeah. theology. So the church in many ways still influences Hollywood mm -hmm. positively and negatively, mm -hmm. but it still inter, uh, you know, influences the writings yeah. because you can't get away from that when you have 2,000 years of church history connected, mm -hmm. interconnected, with Western culture, you mm -hmm. can't get away from that, and that's interesting. Yeah, to me because actually, you talk about that a lot. You know, like you, you, you have here. And oh, go ahead. Oh, yeah. Just one thing about the Catholics in Hollywood. I mean, there's many Catholics who are present in Hollywood, and because I live there near there, I actually meet a lot of people because I work uh, as a film and TV reviewer. So I meet a lot of different actors and producers and directors. And actually, I just wrote an article. It came out in Saint um, Anthony Messenger uh, magazine for the June-July issue this year. And it's if you get a chance to look it up, it's coming out also online, St. Anthony Messenger. Look it up for the June-July issue. It's called Catholics in Hollywood. I did a feature story, and I interviewed seven different Catholics with all different capacities in Hollywood, mm -hmm. such as Mart Wahlberg, um, Jonathan Rumi, who's Jesus on The Chosen, uh, Sean McNamara, a great director, uh, Ted Melfi, also a director and producer uh, and writer. Uh, it, it's a great opportunity to, to see that there are people in the industry whose Catholicism informs their art, and it shows up. When they when they communicate, and it doesn't mean that they're telling Catholic stories or mm -hmm. that their movies are really about Catholicism, they're not. But they tell really good stories mm -hmm. because Catholics, what we do is we use symbols and signs in our liturgy and in our in our understanding of our faith. So, like fire, water, oil, you know, gestures, uh, all of these point to something deeper. They point to grace, God's presence in in our lives, uh, his, the elements of grace in, in our lives. And when we see those elements in movies or television, we, we have automatically a deeper sense of sacramentality, we call it. it it's the sacramental moments, a sacramental imagination that we bring to the popular culture. And we see this in the stories that some Catholics, when, you know, mm -hmm. that the stories they tell, they use those symbols and signs and they have deeper meaning. Yeah. And, and really, uh, a lot of them, uh, you, you can pick it out once you start realizing what they're doing. You can see, and that really informs the story. Mm -hmm. And, yeah. and really gives you a deeper understanding of what the filmmaker is trying to communicate. You know, it's interesting because those symbols that you just mentioned uh, can be universal, you know, but most of the time, I, I think a lot of those symbols go over some people's heads. They don't understand that unless they really do the research to understand what those symbols really mean. But it's interesting to me that they do use a lot of these things in these movies and you know mm -hmm. they may not know fully what they are but at the same time it's like there's something that's attracting them to that mm -hmm. yeah i want to go on to pop music because one of the things that sister nancy did for me is it was her and a professor from harvard university i was not a big fan of rap music and sister has this wonderful 
chapter on pop music idols and the one God. Now, let me read something that you quote from uh, Pope Benedict the Sixteenth, and I thought that was uh, it was I thought it was profound. Pope Benedict the Sixteenth writes that we cannot look at the existence of God in a purely theoretic theoretical way, but in a practical sense, realize that without God, nothing would exist since he is being itself. If God is only theory, then we have perverted lives or perversed lives. I thought about that, but when you talked about the the different types, the different genres of music, mm-hmm. I never really connected, especially rap, to a much deeper meaning, a deeper mm-hmm. understanding. I saw a wonderful documentary on rap by a professor from Harvard that really talked about it. And you talk about it in your book. So can mm-hmm. you talk a little bit about that? Well, you know, RAM comes really out of a, a desire for justice. And that's really where it originates. It originates from the desire for social justice issues that that especially the African-American community was searching for and longing for and and still is. And, and so much of the, the stories it comes out in their music because music is really deeply profound comes from the soul uh music speaks more deeply than sometimes words can you know it's just the sounds and the beats uh really resonate deeply with people and pop culture and pop music um and and rap music and all kinds of different genres of music um can speak really deeply to the human yearnings and of the culture. And that's what rap music and hip hop music does. It speaks to the yearnings. Now, not all of rap music is, is about justice issues. I mean, there's a lot of it that's, you know, pretty explicitly sexual, et cetera. And as, as many pop culture, uh, pop music, uh, songs are, but, we sometimes we gotta look deeper. I mean, there's a lot of great songs out there. When you just look at some of the the great musicians of the past, I mean, and just look at Bob Marley and and uh, Bob, uh, Bob Dylan, and you know, all the they have such great poet uh, poeticism in their music. Mm-hmm. Um, even uh, you know, in, in Chance the Rapper, he he talks about it. Even you know, um, even Eminem has some really profound things in his rap music. So, um, it's just, yeah, it, I think it talks about the yearnings of humanity. Um, and, and like I said, not everything is perfect. Not everything is good. Uh, some of it's just like, yeah, whatever. But a lot of it speaks deeply. Well, you know, if you look at some of the uh, folk music of the 1960s, you know, there was a lot of reference to scripture, you know, um, which, you know, I love yeah. listening to some of this music, you mm-hmm. know, it's a, it's a, I can't think of the name of that one right now, but there's one piece that is, they, they take explicitly. Peter, Paul, and Mary. I think it's Peter, Paul, Paul and Mary. Mary yeah. And, and uh, but there's a song that they, they take a, a time to live, a time to die. Oh yeah. Ecclesiastes. You know, yeah. That's from, right. From Ecclesi- and it's like, when I was younger listening to that, it was like, Okay, it's a nice song. I like the lyrics, but I never realized that they were taken directly from mm. scripture. Mm-hmm. And so even then, 
even then, because in the 1960s, it was such a, a, a change in culture. Mm-hmm. Young men and women were looking for something deeper. Yeah. And even then, the church was changing so much so that I think a lot of people had turned off and they just walked away because mm-hmm. they didn't know how to relate to it anymore. And I think in this way, when we had this new folk music coming in, I, I think that people were looking and seeking mm-hmm. and trying to connect to something. So, mm-hmm. you know, we had all this wonderful folk music from the 60s and 70s. Well, there's even even U2 now. Yeah. Uh, Bono, gosh, Bono, some of yeah. his music is like st- almost straight from scripture. So, um, no, I think a lot of these artists, even currently, who really reflect deeply, um, a lot of country music artists are are always referencing God in their in their music. Yeah. So, uh, you know, when you when you're aware that it's there, it's like, oh, it kind of like yeah. pop up, you know, and I, that's why I love watching, um, you know, I I loved watching the Grammys, not particularly this year, but um, in the past years, because yeah. so many our music artists would, would be grateful to God and reference God because they realize deep in the soul where music is, is deeply spiritual. Mm-hmm. It's deeply supernatural. It comes from what is beyond, and you cannot explain it except in God. Yeah. Well, sister, we're at the end of our podcast. We could go on for another half an hour, and I think we will, but <laughs> we'll have to do that another time. Anyway, thank you very much for coming. Well, thank you for having for me, welcome. Father Leonard. I appreciate it's, uh, it. Sure. It's, I appreciate you coming all the way up yeah, no uh, Highway 5. You know, we all know we know how boring that is. <laughs> oh, well, I anyway, thank you again. Uh, thank you for listening to this podcast. I'm hoping that we'll have uh, a couple of people talk about their co- uh, conversion story soon. Um, I also have another theologian coming in uh, named Anthony Ellis. I'm sorry, Lillis. Anthony Lillis. He's a professor over at St. Patrick's Seminary. You heard him once before on uh, returning to the church and the Eucharist. This time we're going to talk about confession. And before we leave, there's just one more thing. Sister, where can we purchase this book? A Sacred Look, Becoming Cultural Mystics is available on paulinestore.com. It's P-A-U-L-I-N-E store.com. It's also available on Amazon um, and all different versions, Kindle, as well as uh, hardback or paperback. So um, go for it. But yeah, it's a it's a fun read. Anybody who likes movies or, or music, a pop culture, um, it's a theology of popular culture, so um, I hope you can uh, get a copy and enjoy it. And if you want, review it on Amazon. Uh, we'd appreciate that. <laughs> well, I tell you, my next retreat, uh, I'm going to take it along with me because some things here I'd like to reread. <laughs> right, thanks again, sister, and take care. Bye-bye. God bless you. Bye-bye.